This show is part of the RetroZap.com podcast network. You will never find the more wretched hive of scum and villainy. We must be cautious. Hello, and welcome to Beltway Banthas, a Star Wars podcast live from the hive of scum and villainy in our very own galaxy, Washington, D.C. I am your host, Stephen Kent. I'm your other host, Swara Saleh. And today we're talking enthusiastically in a different tone of voice than usual for no (laughs) apparent reason. And it is time for summer. Suara, this is our last episode uh, the, for this, uh, this season. We're going to be taking a little bit of a summer break. Yes, the professors are tired. We need to do some more research. Yeah, I mean, we need, we, I think we deserve a break. You know, we've been putting out like a lot of really great content recently, not to give ourselves a pat on the back, but well, still, you know, it's pretty great. You know, like, really, uh, yeah. the greatest. Many people say, I, I've read our reviews. I've, I've read the review, Swart. People like the content. So, you know, I, I got to say, pat yourself on the back nice and good. We have some good content. It's very good. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but um, to, just to let our listeners know, for this episode, the main bulk of it is going to be my interview with my friend Matt Rogers, who's the chief of staff for State Virginia State Senator Dave Marsden. Um, you know, I hope you all will enjoy that a lot. But first, Stephen and I have a lot to discuss, don't we, Stephen? Yeah, we do. Um, you know, there was a Star Wars movie that came out last there week. Was um, I think? I think there was. There was. It was a solo, a Star Wars story. It came out uh, just a week ago, and I believe we have not actually talked about it on this Star Wars podcast that we host. Right, exactly. We did have our Patreon review that we released this weekend, but why don't we give uh, our listeners generally what our general thoughts on the film? So why don't yeah, you go first? Well, yeah, well, I think I think first of all, uh, just so all of y'all know, um, you know, Patreon's a great place to stay in touch with us and get stuff in advance, like our first reactions of Solo within forty eight hours of the movie coming out. So just plugging that, um, but. Listen, so Solo was a good Star Wars movie as far as I'm concerned. I went in with really low expectations. If you listen to this show every week, you know that I have not been jazzed on this concept since it was announced. Um, I am not really into the standalone movie model in general, but particularly opposed to um, old character origin stories and particularly recastings of characters I love, like Han Solo, with actors. Harrison Ford that I adore on a very personal level. So it's all just sort of very personal to me. But I got to say, Suara, I left the theater with my jaw down and I I just looked to my family and I was like, did you enjoy that as much as I did? I was really caught off guard by the fun that I had and how many times I fell into the scenes and did not really sense that I was watching a recasted Han Solo reboot. I felt it many times like I was just looking at Billy D and Harrison bickering on the Millennium Falcon and I, I was having fun. So that's kind of my top line feelings about it. Uh, I've seen it twice at this point, but I think there's some points along the way that we can kind of dig into that are a little bit more substantive. What about you? Um, are you sort of up there with me around an 8.5? Where do you sit? 
I'm at a 6.5 still. I, I think it was a fine film. I think it had a lot of flaws narratively and especially in the writing, I have to say. I'm also a bit of a film snob, as the listeners will know. But seriously, I have a lot of legit criticisms about the film and how it wrote some of its characters. However, I am with you on Alden Ehrenreich and Donald Glover as Han and Lando. I think they both did a fantastic job, especially Donald Glover. And seeing him being able to intonate uh, Billy D. Williams' Lando was amazing and he had such amazing charisma and every second he was on screen i was beaming i was like yes this is what i've been eagerly anticipating we need a lando Lando movie yeah exactly (laughs) we need a standalone movie yeah like he basically like I'm taking. The, I'm borrowing this from Sky Talkers. He basically has vlog, a, right? He has his own vlog or video podcast. He puts it out in podcast form. So I, I listened to the Sky Talkers this week. I thought that was so funny. They're like Lando's a podcaster. It was so great. Yeah, shout out to Charlie and Caitlin for that really great analogy. Um, but yeah, the film on a, as a whole, I yeah, I liked Lando a lot. I liked the Droid L three. I think it had some really great action and cinematography. It's uh, solidly in the middle for me with Star Wars films. I definitely like it better than the prequels, but it doesn't really rank up there for me with the original with the uh, original trilogy, sequel trilogy, and Rogue One. I keep those much higher. Uh, but again, it's a solidly fine, fun film. It didn't like blow me away, but you know, it, I need to see it again. Maybe I'll enjoy it more. So yeah. Yeah. So let's talk uh, politics of Solo. Let's talk in-universe, then out-of-universe being kind of reception of the movie and how that sort of breaks um, politically. So in-universe, I think we've got uh, a more interesting universe in that, well, it's kind of building on things we already knew. So, you know, the empire reigns, corruption reigns as a result. And this is corruption of a completely different stripe than you might have seen in the old Republic. Organized crime is running rampant across the galaxy. They are allies of the empire in a way that we've never really seen spelled out uh, quite like this on camera. Um, you know, Tatooine in the original trilogy is an occupied, um, you know, imperial world. They have troops there, but Jabba the Hutt. Um, he really runs the show. And so you kind of always had the sense that mob bosses had a certain amount of autonomy. And you see that very clearly in this movie. I think particularly when Dryden Voss impales and murders a regional governor uh, in just sort of a quick on-scene moment um, where you realize, all right, so this Dryden Voss guy, he can just kill one of Tarkin's colleagues and it's no big deal. So I think that we always knew that the Empire had very close relations with these crime bosses, with these mafia, with these crime lords in order to maintain their grip of control over the galaxy. You know, the Empire has many shady dealings and will often engage in corrupt practices with these crime bosses. So it's not that much of a surprise, but it was really great to see in the film itself, uh, especially that scene with Dryden Voss, as you were uh, just saying. I actually didn't remember that, but now when I see the film again, I'll keep an eye out for that. It's really interesting how this film was able to expand that facet of galactic politics. I'm looking forward to future episodes of the show in which we'll be discussing that. Yeah, I, I think maybe maybe the other aspect of Solo that we really saw spelled out was a early form of the rebellion. So in the timeline, 
Um, this takes place seven years or so before the Star Wars Rebels series, uh, where we are following Ezra and Kanan and, and sort of the band of the animated series onto the start of the rebellion, which leads us into Rogue One. And we are seeing another sort of wing of rebellion uh, being led by Infus Nest, uh, which is a, a sort of a band of not all like child warriors, but led by um, young people against the organized crime bosses and against the empire. Did you get the sense, Suara, when she was talking about there is a rebellion, that she was talking about the growing rebel alliance, or that she was just talking about rebellion more generally? Oh, she was totally talking about the rebel alliance. And I think that even some of the music in the film, and just based on what we know about Han Solo and how he later on joins the rebellion, that message was quite clear. She's talking about resistance to tyranny, to these, you know, crime lords who are associated with the empire. So I felt like that was pretty clear during the film. Okay. Yeah, that was clear. I, I, I watched it twice and I went, huh, I don't know if she's talking about like, there is a rebellion forming in sort of like the capital R sense, or if she was just sort of talking about like, yeah, we are our own sort of thing. And we're, you know, we're trying to take out organized crime bosses, but even that could still be true because, you know, the, the, the rebel Alliance is sort of a conglomerate of all these different groups who are doing their own things at different times. And then they sort of were brought under the same banner by a charismatic leader being Mon Mothma. So I, I think it probably all ends up the same place anyways. Um, and then I think we've got to talk about one of the elephants in the room from Solo, the, the big reveal at the end, the cameo, Darth Maul. Um, Suara, what did you think of Darth Maul appearing in Solo, a Star Wars story? Eh... Like, I think it was, I don't know, I'm, I'm still wrestling with how I feel about it because general audiences aren't going to know what's going on. General audiences don't watch Clone Wars or Rebels. They don't want to have to go on Wikipedia to understand what's going on. And I understand, like, you know, them, the story group and whatever, trying to make connections across all of these films. But for me, it just kind of landed with a dud. And I actually kind of laughed in the theater when that happened. I was sitting next to people with friends who had never (laughs) seen Clone Wars or knew what was going on. I just thought this is sort of absurd. I mean, and the thing is we already know how Maul's story ends up like spoiler alert. He gets killed in rebels by Obi-Wan Kenobi on Tatooine and Mm -hmm. basically rounding out what, he should have been in the first place. He, uh, like George Lucas should, should have just left him dead. And it's like, yeah. Uh, and, and so, so I, so I'm right there with you. Sorry, listeners. Like we, we both are not like cool with this cameo. Like we're, I mean, I'm cool with it, but it was a bad choice. It, it, it jars general audiences. It sort of, in my opinion, insults the fandom of people who do not follow children's animated agreed. series. And they're like, you, you try to tell them they're like, wait, I, I Darth Maul's dead. I, I I seen episode one. I love Star Wars. I love Star Wars, and I know Darth Maul's dead. He got cut in half by Obi Wan Kenobi, and you're like, ha, no sucker. He came back in the animated series. Didn't you see the robot legs that they showed for just a brief moment when he was on screen? Like, gosh, you don't get it. Uh, I, I just sort of I found it to be 
the 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 marvelish direction for Star Wars that I really didn't think they were going to go, and I I just but, don't like it. But yeah. really, Suar, it proves wrong like everything that we have been thinking about Star Wars for the past year, where we thought there was no way they were going to like really combine the animated series with the on screen. There's a stuff. way to do it in a subtle and meaningfully impactful way. I think, you know, as much as I like how Saw Gerrera was written in Rogue One, I think that was exactly it. You understand who this guy is and what he's all about, even if you haven't watched the Ant-Man series. With Maul, it's a cameo that has so much backstory to it that requires you to understand the wider context of what's going on, and it demands too much of audiences. I, in a way, it was almost sloppy, to be quite honest. And you mentioned Marvel, right? Like, Marvel does it so much more subtly than anything like in this cameo you know they'll reference things in the comics that aren't in the films but the thing is the films and the comics are different universes and it's about different source material and that's inspired into the films and not what's directly in canon and so the mall thing was just annoying before you lose before you lose the marvel note i actually wanted to add like if it was really like marvel this that scene would have been the one that you put after the credits and you know, that that's kind of where I could have seen that going if we were really trying to marvelize the universe. I also thought it was funny because there were about 20 people in my theater who wouldn't clear out and they were sitting through the entire credits. Oh, and I no. just went like, guys, guys, this is this isn't Spider-Man. <laughs> this isn't Spider-Man, this is Star Wars. It's over. There's nothing at the end. Um, it was kind of cute. But yeah, I mean, like it was it was ham fisted, and also it didn't change any of the stakes for this movie. Like the movie would have been the same if they had just moved on to, um, you know, Kira closes the gates and she clearly is now going to become the new mob boss. Um, but it really says to me that Maul is going to be lined up for more on-screen yeah. appearances. If they were going, if they're going to do this, uh, he's going to be part of the fabric of some more organized crime Star Wars movies, whether that be more solo movies, which I think mm-hmm. we're getting, and a Boba and a Boba Fett movie. I think he's going to have to contend with a Darth Maul who runs Crimson um, Dawn and I'm gosh I'm sorry I'm just not excited about it and I feel like a hypocrite because I'm saying like oh I'm not excited again about another Star Wars movie and I said that about Solo and I ended up really enjoying it but I'm just going to stand my ground I feel what I feel I think that you're not excited about because it's not original because it requires homework essentially and not like an exciting riveting story like we got with Rogue One yeah, and I, I I got like one. I you know I don't get a lot of feedback on my reviews of Star Wars. I got one. Someone was like, "Well, so it seems like you were you know you, you're you're liking the movie, but you're still like bashing the premise." And I, I honestly think I can do both yeah. at the same time. Like, yes, I liked the Star Wars movie. They did not fail at making a good movie that I had fun watching, but I still, if I could choose, there would be no more of this. Um, this is a mistake. <laughs> this is a but, mistake. This is a mistake, but I will still go see it. And I, I, my commitment is to enjoy to Star be Wars quite frank. Now, for sure, there is a lot of overhype about the box office numbers. It's doing overall well for like any movie coming out on Memorial Day weekend. However, it's doing very low for a Star Wars film. It's the lowest opening gross of any in the Disney era. That is significant. That's worth talking about. So, 
Swara, yeah. can we talk about the backbending that people are doing to make this movie into sort of a not failure in the yeah, box office? Sure. It's really, it's really <laughs> aggravating me today. <laughs> like, you know, you get online and basically everybody's throwing shade at whatever link you share about the performance of Solo. And, and the media is an echo chamber. So when, you know, kind of one person at the top puts out a headline, like, you know, Solo was a bomb, then kind of everybody else copies it down the, down the line. And then the only people who sort of, you know, say, no, this is not the truth. You don't get it are, you know, sort of the, the Lucasfilm loyalists, the insiders, the people who are star Wars authors who are, I think, you know, just trying to be nice. <laughs> um, and I think that's always worth noting is like, these are people who are in business with star Wars. Um, and I, I just think it's so disingenuous. Like if we really have to say star Wars, this movie was a success because it was the fifth biggest Memorial day opening of all time. Like that is such a stretch of a, a revision of the it's very there's such a thing as inflation there's like and it's not again it's not to say it's not going to make money it's making money it's good it most likely will be successful but it's still at a relatively low bar it doesn't mean and by the way when we criticize the film and its box office performance a we're not saying that star wars as a franchise is a failure that's ridiculous we're not saying that like you know, the franchise can't quote recover. We're just saying that this particular film with this particular premise that people, the general public may not have wanted to see that Lucasfilm's marketing strategy, which was only for a couple of months, didn't work. You know, Star Wars can't just pull a Beyonce and say, oh, I'm going to drop something and everyone's going to like buy and love it because we're Star Wars. And I think that's that's a good thing. (laughs) I think that Star Wars should need to work for, you know, being at the top of the box office, basically. Yeah, totally. And, and, you know, like, so Star Wars, yes, this movie came out, it ended up in number one, but let's be real about what its competition is. Um, it's not going up against Black Panther. Uh, it's going up against Avengers Infinity War that's on like mm-hmm. week four and Showdown. And Deadpool too. <laughs> you know, like, so, you know, so, so it coming out number one, it's, it, that's kind of like grading on a curve. You have to grade Star Wars against Star Wars. Um, and this is a new low in sort of that running in competing for itself. I think it should always be ranked against other Star Wars movies and, and yes. movies of its kind, not just, oh, it made number one on its opening week, regardless and it's of okay what the competition for us is. to talk about it and why it might be a problem for this particular film. And when we talk about these problems, it's not because like we, some were like, anti-Disney like crazies who want things to fail. We talk about it because it's objectively something that's not doing as well as the others. And that's worth commenting on. And we can give our opinions on how they can do better. We're commenters. We analyze like political and media events. This is what we do. Please relax that when we criticize something and that doesn't mean we want it to fail. (laughs) It's like, Oh, Twitter's the worst. Yeah, no, and like, and and again, like you know, it's it's one of those things where you know, I know like Lucasfilm and the Star Wars people actually do follow some of the podcasts, and I, I, I again, I think nobody is better suited to run this franchise and how much yes, than Disney, and, and they are doing a fine job. These these movies are good. Um, I just really take issue with the excess. Mm-hmm. Um, I really take issue with excess. I, I love longing for more Star Wars, and I really want them to make me long for it again. Um, that's what I'm into. So I, I think that's kind of where I'm at on like the, the politics of, of solo, some of the box office stuff. Now I think we got to talk about fandom reaction a little bit and some of the criticisms of the movie that are rooted in political worldviews. Um, 
Do you want to start? Because I think you have the stronger opinions here, and I have most of the rebuffs. Um, <laughs> yeah, sure. So I just didn't like overall the treatment of the female characters in this film. A lot of my woman friends didn't like that either. The spoiler killing of Val and like the first act and the over-sexualization of L3. And also the movie failed the Bechdel test spectacularly. The moment that L3 and Kira start talking, they start talking about their boys in their life. And that was like kind of absurd. And, <laughs> and uh, despite John Kasdan's comments, Lando's not pansexual. There's no, actual representation in the film so you know i feel like he was acting performatively there so yeah did you mention the over sexualization of l3 i I don't feel like i've heard you say that before what do you mean the over like she was talking a lot about sex she was talking implying sex with lando she had really big hips and so what's not the problem that, with that? Well, I think that it's just the problem of like having your first female droid. It's not to say that there's anything wrong with like being or like anything wrong with sexualization generally, but rather you're introducing your first explicitly female droid and you're focusing mainly on the sexual aspect of her, along with like her advocacy for droids. And right? you all have been clamoring for sexual acts on screen and romance for a long time and representation of different sorts of sexualities and views. So how can you then turn around and be upset because a droid uh, expressed sexual preferences. It's and not ideas. the same thing. No, it's that, not the same thing sense. because what we've been advocating for is LGBTQ representation, like two people of the same gender kissing or being having clear love for each other or something like that. That's not the same thing as an over-sexualization of a droid. See, this is this is where I get a little frustrated with the utilization of the droid as a political mechanism because in our in kind of the first conversations that we've had about this, L three was claimed as a female character and that she was fridged and that she was treated as a female character in that way, and then there's a frustration with sexualization and the droid sort of practicing out like uh, a sort of bizarre sexuality, which I think people would want to see from a human character an actor, you know, and then, so that is sort of kept at arm's length. Like, okay, so the droid cannot check the box of sexuality and sort of cross-sectional preferences, but it can check the box of it's a female and it applies to being fridge. So it sort of seems like L3 is being used as a weapon to achieve one end. No, and she's then not being used as a weapon. There is actual commentary about her character and how people who are fans of her actually feel about her treatment as a female character, as like the first female droid and how she was effectively killed for, you know, like uh, her male counterpart's motivation or at least... Her blackmail counts. Her blackmail counterparts' motivations. Like again, like this is where I just don't get it. Like Lando and Donald Glover is a person too, and we also have to worry about the motivations and the stories and the arcs of black characters no, 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 and Lando. So why does the droid have to be so important when we also need to worry about the more important character, character in Star Wars? But canon, that's not Lando. the same thing. It's like you can have both great motivations for him and not having to rely on a fridging rope you know it's not like mutually exclusive i i really reject the idea that she was fridge she made it three quarters of the way through the movie and it needed to stop so that we could get towards the end of the movie and make room for other characters that were going to occupy the screen such as the mask coming off in fist nest like you cannot save every character no, because it's not, you it's like not, them it's Sometimes not, a, it's not about like movies. saving her because she could die it's just 
again, the way it was done, the way it was portrayed sort of unsettled me. It unsettled a lot of people and it just didn't treat its female characters. Well, that's the major beef I have. with I, this film. You know, it, it's, well, you know, it's, it's kind of painted as she died for the motivations of Lando and it gave him an emotional moment, but I think he is also well, owed yeah, an emotional course. moment when he's sort of, no, I wouldn't say like he's when he's treated kind of like a sleaze, like his entire character is like, I'm the sly black guy. I'm kind of sleazy. And all I do is play tricks on people. And it was nice to see him brought down a little bit into a more emotional category for once, uh, as far as that character goes. And you know, listen, supporting characters sometimes are used as tools to get their main characters to where they need to go. And she also played a key function, which was to start a droid rebellion on this planet, a huge distraction that allowed this, this heroic moment and this big thing in the movie to happen. She played a purpose and she also died for her passion. Like her real cause in life is droid liberation. And she set dozens or hundreds of them free like i just don't see a reason for this to be a huge well issue. again it's about how you specifically use her as that sort of motivation without necessarily having to kill her fridging is an old trope i don't think we really need it anymore we can treat our female characters better Ah, but did she die? She lives on in the Millennium Falcon. She now lives forever as a, as sort of a, a character. Yeah, that was pretty cool. <laughs> Although I will say, like Han still taking her from Lando at the end of the film was kind of a dick move. Even though he did, even though he did, he did win the uh, <laughs> yeah. Millennium Falcon in Sabacc. But still, Han knew she was in the Falcon and just like yoink. I'm going to take away the mind of, yeah. Yeah, I know. That made it even yeah. more cold, right? Like, that was that was kind of, I mean, we all knew it was going to happen. He was going to beat him in Sabacc. I also love that he sort of um, played that, um, not, like, the, the, the fake, like, I'm going to fight you thing and then gave him a hug so that it kind of, like, that's why Lando does that to him in Empire Strikes Back. Um, you know, puts up a cold front and then, and then gets all warm and fuzzy. Uh, that was funny. And then, yeah, so he rips him off, but it was cold now. Like we know that he loved that droid and Han had no reservations about just scooping up that whole millennium Falcon and it's, yeah, right it was a kind of a fun it. ending to the film. <laughs> and yeah, so I think that we should close out this conversation by saying like, yeah, uh, on the whole, like solo is a good film, not my personal favorite, but you know, you had a really fantastic time and, yeah, so I actually uh, want to pivot to finally get to our uh, my interview. Yeah, like I'd like to yeah, introduce listeners to my friend Matt Rogers. As I stated before, he's the chief of staff for Virginia State Center Democratic Center Dave Marsden, and we had a you know as you'll see a long but really rich discussion about the politics of the left and his own Star Wars fandom and. We go into like a lot of like really deep themes about essentially the psychology of resistance in both the Star Wars universe and in the real universe. And we t go through all of the eras. We talk about the original trilogy. We talk about the sequel trilogy. We talk about prequel trilogy. About, and we dive into some psychology of the characters. We d delve into what's going on in the left today. And it's a really rich and multivariate conversation that I'm really excited to share with all of you. So here it is, my interview with Matt Rogers. And
and I am here with Matt Rogers. How are you doing today, sir? I'm doing well. Uh, nice to be here. You know, not too far. Just stopping by after I dropped my wife off for acting class. So. <laughs> oh, that's really cool. Your it, wife's an actor. It, well, she wants she wants to be. As she was in uh, Jack and the Beanstalk when she was a kid, and she always talks about it. Uh, she was Jack, and so <laughs> she was, she got the lead role. So she's she's really jazzed about it, and. Uh, funny i said she's jazz because that's actually her name jasmine <laughs> oh awesome <laughs> yeah, awesome so. hey maybe she could be in a new star wars film yeah you know, they're maybe. making one every year yeah i know and i was starved coming up i would be like reading the you know little spinoff books that have a million different uh storylines and everything and so now we're sort of like getting inundated with them. yeah it's like really interesting so you were a legends fan growing up um so i read some like the comics mm-hmm. and i like to read some of like the little spinoff books like the they're about a half an inch right, thick. Right. Yeah. They so would talk short about ones. Yeah. yeah. Han and Leia's kid. And it's funny that they actually did make them a, a Sith uh, Lord. They oh, eventually man. did that. Yeah. And they were doing it again in the new series as well, basically. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, uh, Matt, let's just tell the audience like how we met. Um, so, we met uh, during the Ralph Northam campaign yeah. last year, I believe, at a uh, campaign center when yeah. you know we were just going out for canvassing. And we only met each other in passing. Yeah. But then we followed each other on Twitter. Yeah. And I noticed like uh, you work for uh, Senator. Uh, uh, James Marsden. Oh, no, sorry. Dave Marsden. Dave, Dave Marsden, excuse yeah. me. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, how did you get into working for the Virginia State Senate? Um, so, uh, after after the election, uh, I was moving around and trying to, you know, everybody's everybody's plan sort of got thrown off after the 2016 election. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Mine included. Um, and so I started, so I, I thought maybe I'd go back to working on Capitol Hill like I had, uh, but it didn't work out that way. And it's, that, that's fine. And I started working for the state Senate, uh, the Senate, Senate Democratic Caucus, and I was their communications director. And uh, after that, started working for uh, Charnel Herring, who, who works in the, uh, she's a delegate from the House, uh, House of Delegates, um, one day, but one day, one of my uh, co-workers from the state Senate, uh, former co-workers, called me and was like, Matt, what you doing? Uh, you know, Dave, uh, I'm moving on to you know, be a lobbyist and make the big bucks. Are you interested in thought to have a, you know, sit down conversation? Went great. You know, Dave and I, we really couldn't uh, vibe more. We really, uh, he, he's a really easy guy to talk to and um, just has been a great opportunity to really put some of the stuff that I've thought about into practical mm. action. Um, just a, a little segue about him. He's just really, he's really awesome. He, uh, so actually tomorrow night it will be detail. Um, Dateline NBC is going to be doing a piece on his uh, CBD oil uh, efforts. So he passed the first state uh, medical marijuana bills mm-hmm. in Virginia last year. It was just so people with intractable epilepsy can get CBD oil. Now, um, now it will be expanded for anybody uh, that who whose doctor believes that they can get uh, some relief. So excellent. Yeah, it's some really awesome stuff, and you know. That's what, you know, that's what I get to do in the state Senate and along with, you know, doing some normal campaign stuff and just. Yeah. You know, fundraising yeah, all year. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> and it, it's, it's interesting because, um, you know, when I do call time, this is what it's called when you sit down with a candidate or, you know, and, and have them make calls. Dave does it so different from everybody else. It, it, you know, it, 
most of the time the people are really nervous about making calls and you know, it's sort of you have him reading off a script and it's sort of robotic. Dave just calls him and starts talking about whatever. He'll just bring up random crap and just <laughs> <laughs> and start the conversation off. It's just it's if you get the opportunity to meet him, I mean, it's just you know, I sound like a fanboy right now, but he's a really cool no, guy. No, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, yeah, obviously you have an interest in that you work for him, but it's so great to genuinely hear, like, how much you enjoy working with him and in the state senate, yeah. and, like, it really vibes with, yeah, you know, what you want to do. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, it's great to be on the uh, the uh, podcast here today. I was, <laughs> <laughs> I was watching Revenge of the Sith um, uh-huh. a few days ago, and I was thinking about how when uh, the emperor or uh, chancellor, he he sort of um, forced Anakin onto the Jedi Council. And I was thinking that that was a it's a really interesting parallel with what uh, the president's doing with Devin Nunes, trying to have someone yeah. eavesdrop on yeah. the investigation. <laughs> and so I just thought it, it just has so many parallels. And I saw a tweet that you had put up, uh, you know, about how people try to, you know, Ask why are you politicizing Star Wars? I mean, the the whole storyline is as, pretty much as political as you get. <laughs> I mean, George Lucas wrote about it with the Empire as an allegory for America in Vietnam. Oh and wow, I yeah, didn't know that. Yeah, that was like right at the start, and. You know, there are obviously political undertones uh, in the conversation in A New Hope. They talk about the Imperial Senate and regional governors, and this Absolutely. was baked into since the original trilogy. Well, yeah, and and they have the blo- the blockades, and now we uh, <laughs> did the blockade of Qatar. And so- oh, well, yeah, yeah, blo- blockade of Qatar, uh, blockade of Gaza right now, and yeah. like just so many... So many trade uh, stuff going on around the world. <laughs> so, and it really ties in. I mean, there's a lot of uh, imagery, semi-Nazi imagery uh, from the empire. You know, the imperial, uh, the empire. Know, yeah. yeah. So it's it's really interesting uh, to think about that. And so, like when I was coming up, uh, you know, I was really into it. I just thought it was really cool. You know, like yeah. these guys have powers, you know, they're able to use their minds to, to do things. That Make they things flow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And and so it's really interesting because, you know, my interest really got peaked. I was, uh, must have been like nine or ten. And I this was when PlayStation, when the regular PlayStation was still king. And uh, I used to play Jedi Power Battles. That mm-hmm. was my favorite that, one. Yeah. Yeah, I liked I like the ones where you could do the uh, the racing, but that didn't give as much storyline as uh, you you love Star Wars for the story. That's why people love Knights of the Old Republic so much. Yeah, yeah. You ever play Kotor? No, I haven't. Oh, really? No, dude, you need to play it. Okay, you would love it. <laughs> <laughs> so what what's that? Like, what are you have? objectives in on a certain planet or what's the deal? it's a, it's a, a rpg game uh for a computer or uh, xbox and you're a jedi it takes place thousands of years before a new hope uh this was this came out in 2004 so it's part of like the old canon not the okay. new disney canon but it still like holds up incredibly well you should check it out what would you say uh what's the what would you say the big differences are between the old canon and the Disney? Oh, well, a lot. <laughs> I'm not going to get into a conversation on it right now, but basically I would say that the old canon pre-2012 was 
basically canon fan fiction in a lot mm. of ways. It got really unwieldy, really unruly in my opinion. Like I loved it. I grew up with it. Yeah. And, like absolutely loved it. But I'm so glad how they rebooted it and how you have the Star Wars story group right now that's making sure everything is organized and streamlined. And you're getting some really great content out of it right now. Like on the podcast, Stephen and I talk about all the time uh, Bloodline and uh, Leia Princess of Alderaan and other books which get, that are coming out now which give such rich uh, political insight into the galaxy so you should check those out i think you'd like it absolutely but i do want to ask uh, more specifically how did your star wars fandom get started do you remember what age you were what movie you saw or yeah it it was uh, episode one um you know Mm -hmm. probably as corny as it gets no no, no. (laughs) sure that's awesome (laughs) yeah episode one was great and uh you know you get into like rooting for anakin you know slave kid you know Scared that his mom, you know, get never get to see his mom again. It was really, it was really, um, you know, it was uh, really easy to to understand and to break down and to root for the guy. And then, you know, going with my dad to go see episode two. Those are just sort of formative experiences. Totally. And you know, reading the books, I would play the games. You know, back in the day, I didn't have a million video games. Like, you know, was it a <laughs> was it the most. Uh, you know, rich kid growing up. So I would play Jedi power battles over and over and find new ways to beat it, speed up and beat it. And, you know, so that's how my fandom got started. But actually I, I was watching uh revenge of the Sith because my wife had bought me the Blu-ray, uh, the uh, episode one, two, and three. She bought it oh, for nice. me as a, as a present years and years ago. And I updated my video game, uh, platform finally to playstation 4 and so now i get to finally watch it so it seems like you have a lot of affection for the prequels uh and i'm guessing like you know we were talking about earlier about trade disputes so you really like the politics in there yeah absolutely um so it's really it's just so so interesting how it really parallels a lot of what's going on and and the resistance Mm -hmm. and i Mm -hmm. don't I don't know what really went into that because that came out right after the uh, 2016 election. So it it's sort of made, it's sort of surreal how right after how that next episode really caught you know caught fire and really was plugged into. I mean, how the heck would they have known that? you know, Trump was going to win. They, yeah. they just decided yeah. to do it that way. Yeah. Talking about the force awakens and how they use the term resistance and yes. we have a real life resistance. Yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Um, so yeah, it's pretty insane. But, uh, what is, uh, you, although you say you love the prequels, are one of them your favorite films or <sighs> no, my favorite one of all is empire strikes back. Nice. Yeah. And my favorite character is Lando Calrissian. Nice. <laughs> yeah. I like Lando because he's a, he's an imperfect character. And I think that, that that's really good. I mean, the way star Wars does it, they don't really, even, even Obi-Wan, who's one of my other favorite characters, he's an imperfect character. He at times asks people to do things that are sort of ethically murky. Um, and Lando is, is, is the same way. He's just a guy. He's a businessman. Han owed him some money. And he's like, well, Darth Vader's here. He's going to kill me or I turn these guys in. Right. But then he tried to he tried to fix it, you know, um, and tried to – he actually did in Return of the Jedi, helped, helped get Han back out. So it's really yeah. great. <laughs> the other thing that kind of makes me mad in some of the old fandom discourse about Lando is – 
people keep saying in Empire, oh, he betrayed Han, he betrayed Han. He didn't betray Han. He was just looking out for his people. Yeah. Like, is he really just going to, uh, like, uh, sacrifice immediately his millions of people he has to take care of Absolutely. on Cloud City and, like, for this random kid named Skywalker? And other thing that's made me mad is that people don't tend to really talk about that much how pivotal Lando was yeah. in Return of the Jedi. He's the one that blew up the second Death Star. Yes, exactly. And, and so it's just, I think... Uh, it's just human nature. We want to try to super build up the people we like and we like to tear. It's either, you know, black and white. And that's not life. I think we yeah. all we all have times where if we could go back and do something different, then maybe we would. Would Land actually in this situation, again, like you said, maybe Lando made the right decision. Was he going to sacrifice everything and get maybe they be the first Death Star victim. Uh. Yeah, exactly. And like, you know, we're complex people. We don't, uh, no one's absolutely good. No one's absolutely bad. And I felt like a lot in the Last Jedi discourse, some of which I've seen online, is that people were mad that, hey, Luke Skywalker messed up and Jedi aren't meant to mess up. (laughs) I don't know. It was just really weird. Uh, I'm curious. What do you think of The Last Jedi and uh, relating to imperfect characters? What? How he was refusing to help her out. and (sighs) You got to think about it in terms of what, you know, in the legend, what he has seen. Horrible stuff. You know, his dad uh, helped destroy the Jedi, exterminate. He he sees a pivot where he risks his life many times to to try to bring back the resistance, only to have it stomped out again. His sister is 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 trying her best, and she's constantly running around. He's trains. You know, a new he trains the next generation, the person he thinks is going to save everything, and then he finds out that this person is corrupt. And so, <laughs> I, I just I think it's it's this is a good conversation because what makes Star Wars good for me is that it's not one of these like touchy feely, super over the top, ridiculous where everybody's either evil or perfect. Um, Luke made mistakes. Everybody makes mistakes. Um, I mean, I could say it again. <laughs> it, 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 just what it comes down to. It's what makes it, you know, really um, makes it easy to, to digest for me. It's very cyclical. You yeah. Know, what Luke has had to experience. And I saw it as he's just getting tired of the same old cycle again and again. You know, we beat the Sith, but the Sith rise up again, and maybe the Jedi are making the problem worse. And there's that weariness to it, which I feel like, you know, I feel like on the whole, the left and the resistance has been able to avoid that sort of weariness. I have a couple of friends here and there that are, you know, feel like, oh, I just want to give up. I don't want to really talk about this anymore. Yeah. But still, like, I feel like the resistance now to Trump has been really robust and strong. I think uh, to that point, uh, small pivot here, I think, sure. uh, I, you know, my my, fe- my biggest fear with the resistance is mm-hmm. we – we just do too well this year. I think 28, I I think, I think the resistance, we cannot be simply now. And I'm not somebody who says we can't win just attacking Trump. I think Trump stands for so much that 
by rejecting him, we are standing for something, in my mind. Sure. I think that there are some on the left and in the resistance who, you know, he is a symbol of everything. And if we were to get the House and maybe the Senate, which would be a big uphill climb to be able to take the Senate. But if we we were to take the House and, you know, be able to have him in impeachment, I don't know if that would satisfy their hunger to it. You know, I think it it would oversatisfy them and then maybe we would lose the the edge that we have right now is my fear. Well, you know, I feel like in most podcasts I listen to, you know, mainly Pod Save America podcasts and uh, others and uh, articles I read, the message always seems to be we can't be focusing too much on Trump's uh, collusion or simply running on impeachment of Trump. Like running on impeachment seems like a losing battle. Uh, so I would say that the strategists and analysts are, you know, who are looking at the polls, who are trying to observe, you know, what voters actually care about. They care about the bread and butter issues. That's what we need to be focusing on. But it seems like Trump is making it so, so easy to just attack him because everything is doing, like, is just so objectively, no matter what side of the aisle you're on, just objectively awful. (laughs) I think, I think um, we, we, we've really got to, we can't outthink ourselves here. The American people do not like this president. Yeah, just flat out. And the guy, the guy puts up tweets celebrating what forty five percent, forty three percent, forty two more. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so I mean, the message is clear. People don't like this president, but you know, and but there are places in this country where you don't go, and your first message is, you know, let's impeach this president. The message on impeachment should be when and if we were to find evidence of impeachable offenses, we would pull the trigger, unlike Republicans who could could see him shoot somebody on Fifth Ave and wouldn't do anything. I feel like the problem with that, though, is when you look at polls about the Mueller investigation, about yeah. Russia, yeah. about – how generally Americans are feeling towards that. I think it middly it middles like around 30, maybe 35%. And on their list of priorities to vote for someone in office, it's not, unfortunately not really high up on the list. It should be. Oh, absolutely. 100% it should be. But I think like, and I want to, I always repeat uh, what Dan Pfeiffer says on pod save is the message should not be about collusion. Yeah. It should be about corruption. corruption. Yes, exactly. You also listen to Pod say yeah. right? Yeah. So, um, you know, and that's like, it, it's really this overarching theme of yep. everything that Trump and his cronies have done. Yeah. Being corrupt. Absolutely. And that goes back to what I'm saying is, is we don't know what Robert Mueller knows. We don't know what he's uncovered. We don't know what the Southern District has uncovered. We don't even know what this guy Michael Avenatti has uncovered. Right? He's yeah. he's really beating him down every day. And um, but 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 back to the um, you know we can't overthink ourselves. You're going to have to have different, not different, completely different messages for every district. But you got to know your audience. When you go to talk, when I go in camp, if I'm going to Canvas in Knock and you know South Arlington, I'm going to lead with a different issue yeah. than if I was going to go do Westover. It's a different neighborhood. Or if I was going to do Crystal City, if I was going to do Boston, 
it's not that you say you talk out of both sides of your mouth. You're not going to tell one person one thing and tell the person you know another a contradicting thing. You lead with different things for different people. There will be a lot of people this year that will want to vote to impeach this president. There are going to be people that want to vote to save you know uh, women's rights, women's choice. It's just we 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 can't overthink ourselves and try to do it one way. In my mind, at least. Right, right. So I want to pivot this back a bit to Star Wars. Yeah, cool. Uh, Has Star Wars in any way informed your political activism? (sighs) Yeah, I hate to repeat myself, but again, yeah, people are dynamic and complex. And despite your best efforts, sometimes you're going to make mistakes. Sometimes you're going to have to go back and be like, well, I screwed up. And in order to defeat our uh, political adversaries, we are not, again, most importantly, we have to remember for the most part, unless people are being traitors, we are all on the same team at the end of the day. So our political adversaries, we have to understand Mm, what what their motivations are, why they believe what they believe. Even if it may be, you know, some folks are racist and, yeah. and corrupt. Yes. Why is it that this is um, pal- palatable for, for people to say? Why is this okay? And so, you know, how Star Wars was able to make you understand Anakin's deep struggle, see his mom, you know, um, even even yeah. Kylo Ren. Yes. Now he's a, he's a, you know, somewhat sympathetic figure. Now he, you know, they can see each other in the movie. And so you understand that they have a deeper understanding. Even when he killed his dad, you know that he was hurting about it. Yeah, dude, that moment <laughs> is just... Yeah, so, so Kylo Ren, honestly, has been, for me, one of the most fascinating characters ever written in Star Wars and yeah. all the media. He's... You know, you think you have him fully pegged in The Force Awakens, but then in The Last Jedi, you know, Force Awakens, we thought, oh, he's a textbook white supremacist, neo-Nazi, <laughs> etc. But then in The Last Jedi, yeah. you really sympathize with this guy. Yeah. You understand that he has some serious, you know, like mental issues and daddy issues, uh, daddy issues and um, he legit feels as though his family has betrayed him and a lot of people can empathize and sympathize with that. Absolutely. And and that is – and politically, you know, I'm not somebody who, who thinks, you know, this economic anxiety is what people mm-hmm. – drove people to vote for Trump. I, I just – honestly, I, I just summarily dismiss that mm-hmm. um, because, Same. Uh, yeah. you know, working class voters of every, every uh, way you cut it, they voted for Hillary Clinton. Mm. white working class voters, white rich people, white gay people voted for Donald Trump. Now, why that is, we can leave that for others to, to, to think. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And listeners, when we're saying this, we just mean like, uh, by the polls, what they showed in terms of like majorities. Yeah. Yeah. It was white support. Those are just the statistics. There definitely is, you know, like this, cultural element at play uh, for better and for worse. And I think that what the Trump administration has really done is force us to have like this conversation about race, about um, how our politics work better for some, but not so well for others. And 
it's uh it's uncomfortable like you know no, all, all these conversations is. are deeply uncomfortable and i think it really depends on how we ourselves react to them absolutely and 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 you know to bring it to a personal you know aspect I, I, and I, I don't think that i'm alone in this after you know the 2016 election i had to have difficult conversations with you know one of my best friends ever um for sure really close to me but we had to really discuss and examine Again, why you think may think this way? Why why some people are sympathetic to the argument? You know, give the guy a chance, sort yeah. of thing. You know, yeah. and why others are not. I think you know, to your point about how this administration is forcing us to have the conversation. I think it's really just become a more prolonged conversation. Mm-hmm. We really began in uh, the spring of two thousand seven yeah. with Obama. Yes, and there were a lot of people who want you know. The Obama-Trump voters, I can't speak for all of them, obviously, because I don't know all of their thoughts and all their yeah, understanding. Same. But, you know, a lot of them a lot of them really felt vindicated in that they had voted for a black man. And America right. felt vindicated. It's that get-out effect. Yeah. Like, I vote for Obama three – or I would have voted for Obama <laughs> third time. Yeah. Then people are saying, I've seen Get Out three times or I've seen Black Panther three times or, you know, like that sort of – Get out of jail free card. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah. And it's like it's not it's not that. It's a longer yeah. sustained conversation. It's, it's, your, it's your everyday um, – just your interactions with people, how you treat people. Totally. And, and, we're, and to be completely fair, no one in this country – no one is completely absolved, completely innocent of racism. Yes. People on a daily yes, basis all... treat people differently based on what they may, may believe about them. It's it's a fact of American life and I can speak for myself not – like at least when I was a kid, maybe when I didn't know about these issues any better or like know how to talk about them. It's like you do – because of our media, because of our society, it does make you think about different groups of people in different ways. Yeah. And it's systemic. It's yeah. something that we should all be addressing, just talking about openly. Yeah. And, 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 and that's a great point you made, you know, that it just has to be open. And, you know, we have to understand that not everybody has our life experiences. Right. And, you know, we can share. Now, it's a different discussion completely when you're being shut out or somebody – because of your race or because of your culture mm. will not listen to you or will not value your opinion, then that's a completely different conversation. But for, I would say 75% of the country, mm-hmm. we can have these conversations and we may get upset during it, but if we just all keep our minds grounded, we could make a lot of progress Yeah, in and, my mind. Yeah. And, and you know, like, and you've seen me on Twitter yeah. and my friends, like with the hashtag SW rep matters. And, you know, we're talking about that for the films, for the behind the scenes to be more inclusive of creatives of color, um, to, uh, write better stories for characters of color. And, um, it's also really, you know, sometimes within our fandom, it's like, you want to see more fans of color be invited to special events and stuff. And it's like, 
you know, the Star Wars fandom is, it's funny because Star Wars fandom, honestly, I found again and again is such a microcosm of society. And it is really that, you know, these sort of issues that we talk about in day to day politics, you'll often find uh, people discussing Star Wars on Twitter. Sometimes it's done really stupidly, but other times it's done really constructively. Mm. And, you know, self-pitch here, you know, with SW Rep Matters, I feel like we've been able to do that in a much more constructive way to get people to talk about these things. Um, But I do want to go back uh, to talking about uh, Kylo Ren and, uh, you know, how he is this sort of, um, you know, I don't want to say like, no, in no way am I saying that Trump voters are like Kylo Ren or anything (laughs) like that. But, you know, I think like something like we saw with Charlottesville or, you know, like the rise of, uh, actually, yeah, I do want to talk about Charlottesville. Like, cause that day, man, I was just so, I was so depressed. It was just like, how can this be happening in 2017? And it was really scary because, uh, that was, you know, right in the heat. That's right before, you know, Labor Day is right when most campaigns actually get their legs yeah. and you start figuring out what's going to happen, which way the winds are blowing. And so this was in August and uh, there was no telling. That was a really pivotal election we had last mm-hmm. year, the one we yes, met on. absolutely. And I really felt that, you know, folks were really emboldened and they still are. They still are. I mean, even though... We have to keep in mind, you know, Trump got more votes than any Republican ever. Mm-hmm. Ed Gillespie, fun fact, got more votes than any Republican that had ever run for in governor Virginia. in Virginia. Wow. So the what caused last year to be what it was was the resistance, a, a, a overwhelming surge in areas like Arlington, but really all over the, the state. We, we did an amazing job over running candidates everywhere. The Commonwealth. Yes. <laughs> Apologize. You know, Come on, you work, for, state. you work for the Senate. Come on. Yeah. Just, I'm just kidding. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was, it was candidates running all over the state. And so, like, it's really, we just have to uh, be mindful that they are still emboldened. And that element, there, like I said, those people who are not willing to listen, there are those out there, and they are emboldened and really cheered on. And you know, you got folks calling people animals and calling yeah. their countries assholes. And yes, yes, it is. <laughs> it is the world we live in, and it's why people tend to bring this back to star Wars with the first order. And, you know, we did an episode right after Charlottesville about how we saw the first order a lot, like, you know, people, those, uh, you know, like supremacists in Charlottesville and how scary it is and how, uh, the psychological dynamics that go into it can produce people who will feel emboldened to act on their absolutely worst instincts. Yeah. And, and, um, likewise, it will uh, scare well-meaning people into silence as well. Yes, yes. So that's another effect. Of you it. can't be complacent. <laughs> Let's hope. Hopefully, we've learned that. Um, but like that, that goes back sort of to what my 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 uh, my fear is: is that mm-hmm. 2018 we are every day. Avenatti's beating the drum. We've got you know, scandals with the EPA. We've got all kinds of things going on and we're really excited right now to get out and vote. But in 2019, when Virginia has the whole, um, you know, state legislatures up for election, will people know? 
Yeah. Will it be on CNN? Will people still be talking about the resistance? We, and also, we don't talk enough about state-level politics. Absolutely not. It's, it, it, and it's scary because, you know, for almost a generation, that has been how, um, you know, the right has implemented and, and tested out their theories. Unfortunate for a lot of people like in Kansas, um, in Alabama, who are just dirt poor and they've been convinced – that you know, another tax cut is gonna fix everything. It's gonna understand. turn everything around. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, so, if we could make so much change, if we just decided, all of us committed to being voters every time, because that's yeah. all it's about. It's people come out and vote for a presidential. Yeah, and <laughs> and actually, I want to talk about your project. Okay, uh, which is also your Twitter handle. It's called yeah. Politidote. Yes. Um, so the idea came up because, uh, you know, my wife is a marketing professional. She's just excellent at doing that kind of stuff and really pushing out, you know, relatable content. And she really has served as my editor for years on a lot of, a lot of projects. So we thought, you know, why don't we create an organization to do this? So the mission is, is to get 14 to 17 year olds, not only registered to vote or pre-registered, we're going to get them activated. We're going to get them thinking before they're 18 years old in political ways. And that, you know, that'll necessarily, that'll create some really interesting conversations. Myself at 17, I'd be afraid that I was going to vote because at Mm. that point I had totally different points of view, but that's democracy. We've got right. to, we've got to believe in democracy. At the end of the day, people through conversation, through you know receiving new information, you, we can change our minds. But we have to believe that everybody's vote matters, and everybody should be able to vote. We got to stop putting up these ridiculous barriers to vote. We should be letting people know at seventeen, hey, you're going to need a photo ID. Yeah, and, and with the amount of restrictions we have across the country, still. And the gutting of the Voting Rights Act, yeah. it's just – it's so hard to deny that there is an attack on people's simple right to vote. Absolutely. It's insane. And you know, when you look at the gerrymandering that we still have that is yeah. thankfully starting to be taken down, yeah. you know, we just like – and it's like we just want – Fair districts. We yeah. don't want Democrats to gerrymander in yeah. turn. We want yeah. bipartisan, like neutral, fair districts to vote in. That's it. So speaking of that, I, <laughs> my boss has a really interesting idea because mm-hmm. this is a hugely important conversation for the kind of country we want to be in that we will be, how our districts are drawn. But it's also a sociological sort of interesting thing outside of politics. Democrats tend to live closer to each other. We tend to congregate and to you know live on top of each other. And so necessarily it becomes very difficult to draw moderate districts mm-hmm. without doing the kind of windy things. Now, I completely – agree that we need nonpartisan actors as much as that's possible Mm because really most people are not really nonpartisan but you know people who are not elected officials like bipartisan yeah yeah yeah. some kind of way that we can you know so my boss has this interesting idea he 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 
he wants to he wants to make or he's floated this idea. He wants to make sort of the state senate sort of like this U.S. Senate in that uh, instead of drawing districts in a certain way, you would split up precincts around the state. Mm. So you would mix urban. I would have twelve precincts in Arlington, and I would have twelve precincts in Fauquier County, or some some mismatch of that to sort of get people to listen to both sides. So that's an interesting yeah. way. It's just I think we all, you know, especially on the left, we want to. Get, this is wrong. Gerrymandering is wrong. We have to be careful what we wish for, though. Yeah. And we have to make sure that what we get back, we're putting in a lot of effort and a lot of, uh, you know, passion into this, but we have to be thoughtful about what the unintended consequences could be if we just, if we decide that our only test for what we want is, is it a square? Is the district a a perfect square? Because then we will, you know, I'm, and I'm not saying this in a pro Democrats gerrymander the state way. Mm -hmm. If we just go to contiguous blocks, yeah, we could end up with a Senate that has ten Democrats and thirty Republicans. Right. (laughs) It's just like that's another sort of reverse gerrymandering. Like that is still gerrymandering. It's kind of weird like that. (laughs) Yeah, and. I think in general, we just have to really be focusing on like getting people, you know, to come together to like talk and discuss these issues. And, you know, this is what we do on our podcast regularly, you know, like we're, we're not an advocacy podcast. We're a bipartisan podcast. Like me and Steven, (laughs) me and Steven have like uh, differing views, but we tend to just see like what we have in common and how we can make more constructive discourse out of like an increasingly partisan landscape. And we use star Wars to do that because, you know, like for us, like star Wars is political. It's not partisan, even though George Lucas is himself like a huge, huge liberal. It's still like, there are themes in there that are so multi-layered Absolutely. that we can just like gather uh, so much from. And as we have continued to do on the podcast. And I think like just the number one thing, like as we were discussing earlier is that uh, corruption in the Trump administration, which we all need to be vigilant about and yeah. at the prequels, like show us like, and other uh, media shows us it's like good to be vigilant against. Absolutely. Um, you know, and that, I think that that will be the most um, uh, easiest to understand theme of this election season. Like I said a few minutes ago, the campaigns don't get don't if you are a liberal like I am, don't worry about what the generic polls are saying right now. The elections do not begin until right. basically Labor Day. The the the. It's going to crystallize because it is on a daily basis that just on every level, these people – the Trump administration is not on the level. They're they're, sicking Postmaster General after Amazon. These are things that whether you agree with low taxes or high taxes or or abortion, this is – right is right and wrong is wrong. Um, And so – It'd be interesting to see them do a spinoff of, you know, 
Star Wars and the Trump administration, and maybe we can understand their their uh, you know oh, man. underlying <laughs> interests. No, something like Stephen and I really want is a Star Wars West Wing series, oh, where wow. it's like in the Galactic Senate. It might be in the days of the Old Republic, right before it turns into the Empire, and like politicians are trying to save democracy. Yeah, you know, noble pursuit and. You know, I love Bail Organa like a lot, who's like Leia's dad yeah. and like King of Valderon and um would love to see him. And it's just like there's so much richness there. Absolutely. <laughs> it's it's so it I just I can't so what what are if you don't mind me asking Go for it. what are the arguments when people try to tell you that Star Wars isn't political? Because I just can't wrap my mind it, around it. It may I mean like mostly it comes down to a personal preference of uh, what you want to enjoy in the theater. You don't want to be thinking about the difficult political themes of it. Actually, um, in some of our previous episodes uh, with uh, pollster Kirsten Soltis Anderson, uh, she talks very eloquently about this, how people don't want to be thinking about politics. They want to just have a fun space movie with lasers and like <laughs> uh, Shakespearean themes. They don't want uh, like, you know, and that was part of some of the backlash to the prequels as well. I argue that there are fascinating politics in the prequel that are just not executed well. Yeah. You know, yeah. so it, it's really just about um, you know, like fan, certain fans just not wanting to see that. But as proven by this very podcast, yeah. Star Wars is indeed very political, and I'm always amazed by how much content we can talk about. Like it's not like every single episode we come up with like ten other things to talk about. It's so great. Yeah, I guess I guess uh so what you're saying it's essentially the same argument that that, that people like to make about sports as well, how, mm-hmm. you know, athletes should stay in their lane and they want to watch the game and just watch the game, not think about other stuff. They want an escape. I understand. Um it I guess what I've arrived at by understanding of this is this is wishful thinking. Star Wars, I can't, I couldn't imagine it not being political. You're talking about the downfall of a civilization, you know, democracy being stripped away. Yeah, it's the Roman Empire. Yeah. <laughs> so I mean, it's yeah, it's unfortunate for for individuals who who would like to watch and not think about politics. I don't watch much Star Trek. Maybe it's less political in Star Trek. Oh, I think Star Trek's very political. Actually. Oh, really? Yeah. I mean, it deals with like a federation of planets and like they have to – I mean like war itself is yeah. political. <laughs> like, like war is like – like politics are the uh, – like all the options you have before you actually go to war. Yeah. And war in a way is just the most explosive and violent form of politics. Absolutely. It's like – yeah, I, I like don't understand it either, and I think that people again just don't want to think about something complex, which I can appreciate because often we need the escape. Oh, absolutely, we need to absolutely. get our minds off of like the hundreds of things that are going on every day, especially <laughs> as we're inundated with so much social media. That's you oh know, man, just think about all of this. Yeah, I mean, it, it is. I definitely understand it, but it's just wishful thinking. There's got to be another cartoon. Maybe we watch Dexter or something. <laughs> oh my God, Dexter! That was Scooby so Doo's not political. 
<laughs> Unless you're against, you know. Are you kidding me? They're going after like uh, corrupt politicians all the time. Just yeah. <laughs> I didn't know what that was. Oh man, Scooby Doo. Oh my God, this is super random, but like, do you watch the show Supernatural? No. So like th- this show has been going on the CW for like 13 seasons. Is that it's the gone. one where they have the, their angels? Yes, yes, exactly. Okay, yeah. And they just did a crossover episode with Scooby Doo. Like They this, did? What? They did. It's so weird. I, you know, this is like. I'll have to check it yeah, out. Yeah, like there's your escapism right there. Yeah. Supernatural with Scooby Doo. <laughs> <laughs> That's as non political as you get there. Yeah. Um, so, uh, you know, actually, uh, I want to get back to uh, Star Wars and. Okay. Uh, sort of your feelings on the sequel trilogy, like The Force Awakens and The Last Jedi. We already touched upon those a bit. Um, do you, first off, like, do you like these films overall? And also, what are, like, the most crucial thematic elements you see coming out of the new films? I, I think they're really well done, uh, in my opinion. I could not get my wife to watch Star Wars with me. Um, she would try... Uh, she made mm-hmm. it about through the, to the race part of episode one with me. We w- went and saw The Force Awakens. She was laughing and happy it's such the a great whole time. time. Yeah, it's 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 really easy to. It's it's just like the I think probably it's controversial amongst the you know the people who like the canon just like probably episode one, two, and three were. You know they liked the way it was done back then, but this new. The, the Force Awakens and Last Jedi, it's it's given an opportunity for a new generation of fan to come in because you don't want to – you don't like any time you start talking about something. I want to watch the new basketball game. I don't want you to tell me about Oscar Robinson and, and Will Chamberlain and Magic Johnson. I want to watch LeBron tonight. You know? right, right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's just like something new and it's also more diverse and inclusive. Yeah. So I think that will be special for a lot of like kids today. Yeah, I mean there weren't – other than Lando, what, what African Americans were in Star Wars? None. Like it was like Lando, and that was basically it. And then yeah. episode one, you, I guess Mace Windu. Well, yeah. Mace, so you're, I was thinking yeah. of original trilogy. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. But yeah, of Mace course. Windu. Yeah, the original. That's what I'm thinking. What I was asking yeah, about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So episode one, you have, you know, in the one, two, and three, you just have Mace Windu, though. Now we have. Now there's Finn. Yeah. Well, there was Captain Panaka in episode one as well, but he didn't oh, really. What, what What was his role? What did he, he, he was the Queen's security guard. Ah, there you go. Yeah, yeah. Okay. But even so, like, he's not really a main character, so neither is Mace, and now... And I've seen the movie a lot of times, and I did not. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and and now now we have Finn. Yeah. You know, like... uh, Mace did have a big part, though, in uh, Revenge of the Sith. He did, he did. Yeah. He finally, I mean, Samuel L. Jackson, I mean, yeah. he's a legend. <laughs> oh, man. Like, there was one night, like, Steve and I were watching, like, um, uh, like, uh, Samuel L. Jackson in Revenge of the Sith, yeah. like, uh, like, all of his scenes, but with mofo like, <laughs> throughout and like it's just like him from uh coming to america yeah. with the shotgun <laughs> that was such a good scene in the movie. Yes. uh but yeah like you know like I, I think it's just um it's really fantastic how or actually i'm curious like what are your thoughts on finn I think Finn, again, he's a conflicted character who is really a coward. And yeah. he starts off as a coward. He gets emboldened. He starts believing in his friends. He gets into something bigger than himself, and he does something larger than life. 
that's life. That's what we do. That's what we 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 hope that when people have kids, they hope their kids embody those sort of things. They push through their cowardice and help out their friends and learn something new along the way. Test their boundaries. Finn is a great character. Yes, he's a coward. There's tons of cowards out here. <laughs> yeah, and I think in The Last Jedi, um, you know, his journey was really learning about why he needs to care about this cause, you know, like he just got swept into. Yeah. Sometimes, and that that's a, you know, we like to think about ourselves in the most glorious ways possible. Whenever we get involved in something, we're doing it mm-hmm. for the right reasons. Even if it's the right thing, we're doing it for the right reasons. We had no self-interest. We were always brave. We were always, you know, gung-ho about everything. And that's just not the truth. You know, sometimes we get we get into a good cause for the wrong reasons <laughs> and you end up there and you're like, wow, this is actually good stuff. This is something that I need to be involved in. There or, you go. <laughs> or, or honestly, like now today with the resistance, you know, in real life, it's like I feel like so many people are getting involved with politics because they feel they have to. Yeah, because and I will say for a lot of people of color. You know, I think that especially, you know, Muslims or uh, Latinx people or others, it's legit threatening their livelihoods. And it's terrifying, but that is the state we're in right now. Absolutely. Um, And so and, and I think that ties in with what I was saying is, you know, folks who have joined the resistance have gotten involved, cannot become complacent when and if. When or if this president is not the president anymore, yeah. or when or if this president is under impeachment proceedings, um, you know that is not enough. You know when you're standing against the president, you're standing up for issues. You're standing up for against the travel ban. You're standing against you know this corruption at the EPA. You're standing yeah. against them not caring about you know, our planet getting warmer and explaining it by rocks falling in. Exactly. And let's be clear. The travel ban is the Muslim ban. Yeah. Let's be clear. Oh yeah. 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 I'm sorry. No, no worries. No worries. I'm just saying. Inundated with these polite uh, characterizations of disgusting things. It is a, it is a Muslim ban. The president explained it that way. And you know, it's, it's another one of these promise made promise kept things. He said that he wanted to ban, Muslims from entering the United States. Yeah. You know, you have to be vigilant against everything that's happening. And, you know, it's like, I'm not telling like anyone how to think or like how they should be, sorry, or how to like respond or act, but rather just be like cognizant of, yeah, like uh, why so many people right now are so concerned and are, you know, really like taking up signs and taking up, uh, you know, political, uh, advocacy right now. And it's, uh, we'll see like how it goes like into the 2018 elections because yeah. Democrats should, I mean, yes, you're right. Like the poll right now is not indicative of what will happen later on, but yeah. even so Democrats should never be complacent. No, absolutely yeah. not. Yeah. I mean, and look, there's nothing wrong with beating somebody by 30. <laughs> I mean, it, it, you, you never beat someone by enough. Yeah. This is the same thing I teach the kids that, that I coach. Um, I coach flag football. I coach uh, basketball. You might be up by 12 in the first quarter. 
that does not mean it's time to start jacking up ridiculous right. threes, trying to pass behind your back. You play the game. You respect your opponent. Mm. Um, and that's why right now, uh, you know, the the uh, Boston Celtics are able to compete with maybe one of the best players, maybe the best player ever is because they're taking their opponent seriously. They're showing up every night with their lunch pail, knowing I'm going to have to set some screens. That's, you know, blocking and tackling is just like in politics. You're knocking doors, you're making calls. It's, it doesn't matter if tomorrow a generic poll comes out that Dems are up 20 because the election's not held tomorrow. And 20 isn't actually even enough for this level of corruption and, you know, just disregard for people's feelings and, and the health of the planet. <laughs> yeah, that, like that thing to worry about as well. Man, if this was in the Star Wars universe and like climate man or sentient made climate so change was happening, like the New Republic or whatever government was in I charge at the time would, would be on it. They yeah, would just I mean, look, yeah. No matter how corrupt you get, exactly. I, I think at the end of the day, the the existence of humanity would outweigh any kind of concerns. Yeah, yeah. Like that uh, is not a uh, political issue, I would argue. <laughs> yeah, I find it. I find it so so interesting, and I think that is ties back into the corruption. All it is is about oil tycoons and billionaires being able to hold on to the current political power or right. you know commercial power they have. But if we don't have a planet in a hundred years, what are you going to hand to your grandkids? Yeah. You can't spend it all. Totally. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. Like uh, if only we were so vigilant about saving our own planet as like people in the Star Wars universe are about saving theirs. (laughs) (laughs) You know, like let's be like Queen Amidala, like uh, environmental activists for Earth or Naboo or whatever. (laughs) Yeah. I mean I'd vote for um, uh, Amidala. Amidala 2020. Amidala 2020. That'd be amazing. (laughs) (laughs) All right. And on that note – Matt, thank you so, yeah. so much for yeah, joining us one. today. Uh, where can people find you online and your work? And Yeah, yeah you can find me on Twitter, Instagram, at Politidope. So it's spelled like the uh, news outlet uh, Politico, but Politidope. Uh, I also have a website my wife and I have started. It's an organization. Uh, we are meticulously taking our time, making sure that every step we make uh, is appropriate. We're going to start um, start small. We're going to start going to um, high schools that we know. If you guys could send some tips, you know a teacher or somebody who'd give us 10, 15 minutes of their time. This is not politi- uh, This is not partisan work. Uh, yes, I am a Democrat. Uh, <laughs> oh, flash. <really>? Yeah. <laughs> but this is about issues, um, and and hopefully it. It brings up, uh, you know, important conversations. Like I said, I was n- I would not classify myself when I was 17 as a Democrat, but it's important that we get people thinking and we make them regular voters. And if they make people make decisions, people vote the wrong way. That's democracy. Um, but we all have to, you know, hunker down and really believe in this process because it's the only way. We don't have another process to get out. We don't have. You know, we're not going to go break down the walls at anywhere. Your vote is how you're going to get something done. So 
you know, come check out the, the site, send me an email. If you want to get involved, we're going to need volunteers when we start sending, you know, we're going to be doing some voter registration. We're going to be sending out mailers to kids, get them to sign up when their birthday will have, you know, the voter registration form at their door on their 18th birthday. So thanks for giving me the opportunity to plug there. Of course. <laughs> yeah. No, this is, this is what this section of the show is for. Yeah. <laughs> no, but that, that's really awesome. And like, you know, Steve and I believe in, you know, no matter what your political background is, just get involved. Yeah. You know, it's your civic duty. Just be part of the process. Yeah. You know, like, yeah. So, um, anyway, listeners, thank you so much for, uh, taking the time to listen to us. And, thank you. Uh, Matt, you know, thank you again. Yeah. And, uh, may the force be with you, everyone. All right. Have a great day. Bye. And that was my interview with Matt Rogers. I hope you all enjoyed. And, uh, you know, before we close out in our last episode before our hiatus, Stephen and I are going to be giving you our last Bantha Fodders before the hiatus. Oh, our last Bantha Fodders for two months. What am I going to do without a platform? I mean, you got Twitter, so you can use that. So... Oh, God, that's so much more dangerous. <laughs> so uh, before we do that, I'd like to list off our wonderful, generous patrons whose wonderful contribution lets me and Steven make the show the best quality can be. So we'd like to give a very special thanks to Brad Tracy, Isaiah Leslie, Cheston Lee, Andy Siner, Connie Shee, Sarah Strain, BJ Smith, Jessica Shitara, Sarah Smith, Jared Cantor, Tish Wells, Sean Mahan, and Nick DeColandria. Thank you all so very, very much. We couldn't do this without you. All right. So with that, Stephen, uh, what's your Bantha fodder for this week? Yeah, so my Bantha fodder, Suara, is this Roseanne character. Uh, my gosh, this really went down in flames in the past 24 hours. And so I just wanted to offer a couple thoughts. Um, yeah, so my Bantha fodder. Oh, sorry. I, my phone just did a thing. Sorry. Um, let me do. Yeah, so. Roseanne. Um, she is now off the air. Uh, the show has been canceled by ABC, part of the Disney family. Um, Star Wars is, is in this family as well. Um, Bob Iger kicked her the curb after she made a, a pretty horrendous uh, middle of the night tweet about uh, Valerie Jarrett um, and just sort of rehashed some really awful racial tropes. Um, it was, it was bad. So I just wanted to sort of say to any conservative listeners that are out there, um, I, I just wrote for the examiner today about this issue. And I, I was just saying to people, Roseanne is not worth defending. I, I get that tribalism sort of gives people the, the desire to fall on the tracks to defend people from their group and people who sort of against the same sort of enemies and, and, you know, opponents that you might have, but Roseanne was never one of us. And by that, I mean, liberty loving conservatives, um, and libertarians. She is a populist and a populist of really just the worst and most repugnant stripe conservatives, 
uh, don't banter on Russia today about beheading bankers and enforcing wealth dis- redistribution. And, and Barr does do that and has done that in the past. Um, genuine conservatives do not think that George W. Bush organized the September 11th attacks. Barr does. Uh, and I've never met a conservative at a William F. Buckley uh, book club who was sure that the Boston Marathon bombings uh, were a false flag attack. Uh, and that is just ignoring the awful Jewish cookies um, kerfluffle that Roseanne was involved in. All, all of that to say, she is not a conservative. She has been painted as that for the past couple of months while she has been resurging on television and sort of you know creating a, a movement in the middle of the country. But she is leading a movement of people who are really just sort of done with everything. And we should be really alarmed uh, by just how popular she was despite all of the things that she has said and done in the past. The middle of America is not conservative. And that's what's really scary about our politics today. And we know that because Donald Trump is our president. He is not a conservative president. Um, So I get it. I get it. Like Roseanne was sort of under attack from the beginning when it was rebooted um, just because it was doing well in the ratings. And I don't think liberals liked that at all. Um, but that is not what this is about. Like, we've got to be honest about who is with us and who is not. And Roseanne is not part of the coalition. So uh, let this one go, y'all, and let Roseanne go. Um, Suara, what is on your mind, my friend? What is your bantha fodder before we start the summer? I think I'm just going to keep it short and sweet. The last Jedi discourse is one of the most terrible things on the internet I've ever had to endure and that a lot of other people have had to endure, you know, with opinions flinging all over the place. And I talked about this last week in my uh, Bantha Fodder, but I think that after that last Jedi discourse, I learned lessons. I learned what not to do if I'm on the side of someone who dislikes a film or doesn't like a film as much. As you know, I love The Last Jedi, but I have a lot of friends that didn't and who sort of felt left out of the conversation or almost felt uh, maligned uh, by certain people in fandom who were judging them for not liking The Last Jedi or loving The Last Jedi. So now that I'm sort of on the other side of that, I know better how to be empathetic and sympathetic to people who genuinely do like the film or to like Solo or don't like the film as I do because... I think I've seen both sides of the situation before in the quote last Jedi discourse. And I think that I'm either just not engaging as much, uh, talking about the film again, it wasn't one of my favorites. So why talk about a thing I don't really like? And I also want to make it really clear to a lot of my friends in fandom, many of whom really like or love the film that I'm very happy that you like what you like because I've been on that other side of loving something and having someone uh, sort of like tag at me or basically judge me for my opinion of what I love in film. And it, and it sucks. It's stupid. So I think that what the, I, what I really hope that out of the last Jedi Twitter discourse or social media discourse, whatever that people just learn have learned that it's better to just like fandom and let fandom. And if something's not your cup of tea, you can have friends who like it or acquaintances who like it and you don't have to get up in their mentions. Just chill out, you know, like you can discuss like certain aspects about the film, its ramifications for the wider universe, but 
not everything has to be a, for lack of a better term, a measuring contest of how good your favorite is versus another versus another favorite. Everything's ultimately subjective. You know, I do believe in film quality objectively, but again, films are ultimately things that are made to be consumed by subjective audiences with varying ranges of taste. So be respectful for towards different people's taste guys. And I think that you'll be all the better for it and focus really on what you love. That's my band of water. That was an incredibly libertarian band of water. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm proud of you. Oh my God. Live and let live and voluntary association. I'm, I'm into that. This is not your influence. I'm not a libertarian. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> Oh man, Suara, I, I'm sad to even like, you know, try to cap this off. Um, we're going to be off for June and July. We are going to be planning shows, everybody. That is the purpose of this break. Suara and I really need to sort of take this time to hit the books, um, do some interviews with people, expand our knowledge of a couple of political issues in Star Wars so that we can come back to you with some really ironed out show topics for Suara, myself, Abby Gleason, and Brittany Hunter to all dig into as our new uh, and bigger Beltway Banthas family. So we're very excited. Um, please stay in touch with us over this break um, this summer keep in our mentions at beltway banthas on twitter uh, we are also still on patreon we're, we're there we're chatting um, you know we love people to be involved and we'll be putting out some bonus content over the summer uh, we're also on discord the entire retro zap podcast family is on discord and we've all got the apps on our phone we're all on there chatting throughout the day um, you can stay in touch with us in a chat room forum on Discord. So please just um, ping us via email or Twitter to get an invite to that server, and we would love to induct you um, into the family. Suara, anything else that you wanted to put out there before we wrap it up for two months? I uh, just want to say thank you all for your patience and for being with the show. And I'm really excited for what we're going to have in store for you when we come back in the fall. And I think it's really worth the wait. All right. And with that, that has been another episode of Beltway Banthas. We'll be back in two months. And until then, may the force be with you. Always. Always.